Hello, everyone. Thank you for clicking on this podcast today. My name is Harry. I'm going to be your host of the brand new Basketball Junkies podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pod. Please leave a comment and subscribe on iTunes if you can. We would love to hear feedback from you. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to voice us or any topics you'd like us to get to in future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. So again, follow us on Twitter at Pod, spelled how it sounds. And uh, we're going to get going here. I am Harry. I'm going to be your host. I'm sitting here with my friend, NBA superfan, James Sheehan. James, how you doing? I'm doing good, Harry. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to uh, start talking some b-ball. Good. Well, uh, I'm glad to be here. We got uh, right in the swing of things here. We are uh, about 15 games into the NBA season here. It's November 19th currently. And, you know, it's an interesting time of the NBA season because I think we're past the point of kind of the fakers. We're into the, you know, kind of the se- part of the season where we can really start to see who some of these NBA teams are. And, um, you know, obviously the Thunder got off to a great start, falling back to reality a little bit. And a debate that we've been having off the air is uh, Westbrook obviously having this amazing season. Guys averaging 31 points, 9 rebounds, 10 assists, unprecedented numbers. Um, but, you know, team's doing all right. Got off to a hot start. A little bit predictable in crunch time, maybe. Maybe not moving the ball around as much as he could have. Team probably doesn't have enough to outside shooting to really contend. And uh, Westbrook, you know, how does he compare to a guy like Harden, who's carrying a similar role? Guys averaging 28, 8, 12 assists. I know that you're on the side of uh, you're a Westbrook guy. I'm a Harden guy. Tell me why I'm wrong. Um, you know, I, I would say, obviously, I'll start off by saying they're both amazing. I love Harden to death. Um, I would take Westbrook just in the sense that I think anytime you find somebody with that kind of fire, that kind of passion, this is where we go beyond analytics, beyond the spread, beyond who if they have enough shooters or not. This kid wants to win more than anybody I've seen since maybe Kobe, maybe MJ. I mean, that's why Jordan was talking in his Oklahoma Hall of Fame and. You know, being inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, MJ was like, this kid reminds me of me. And that's basically the primary reason I take him over Harden. I mean, there's a lot of basketball reasons as well, and we can get into some of that. But why are you with Harden over at Westbrook? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, glowing from MJ, that's a big endorsement to get from a guy as great as MJ is. I just think that Harden, man, you watch this guy play as an offensive savant. It's the same thing every time. It's a pick-and-roll and that wing defender takes one step closer to Harden to try to get into the paint to close him off, boom, passes right on point to Ariza, you know, to uh, the shooters they got out there that are going to make Harden look better because they have outside shooting. That's granted, but Harden always seems to make the right decision. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to decision-making. I mean, Westbrook has never been a good three-point shooter. That's something you can admit, right? Well, I mean, this year he is shooting 34% on, you know, over five attempts a game. That's okay, not terrible. But the guy's, he's not a premier three-point shooter, no. The guy's not historically been a good three-point shooter. I mean, he's historically in the Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler camp of the guys who think they can hit threes, but probably shouldn't be taking as many as they should. And that's where I think it comes... I mean, Harden, this guy is a decision-making savant, like I said earlier. The guy always makes the right decision. I mean, he's coming down like he's either going to take you off the dribble, where he's obviously as good as anyone in the league at finishing around the rim and at drawing fouls, or he's going to dish to the open guy, corner threes. You know, the guy generates more three-point shots than anyone in the NBA. Year after year, he's unbelievable at generating three-point shots, which I think is an incredibly important stat in today's NBA, because the guy takes eight three-point attempts, shoots him at 37%. Solid numbers, but 
it's not just about that. The guy's averaging 12 assists. And Westbrook, when you look at the amount of shots this guy's taking, I think he should be averaging more assists than he is just on a pure numbers basis. Like, the guy doesn't pass as much as he should. And I think part of that is that fire you're talking about. The guy doesn't want to pass. He thinks he's the best player on the team, and he is the best player on the team. But does that mean he should be shooting as much as he does? I don't know. At this point, all I can say is yes. It means he should definitely be shooting as much as he can. Um, He's not surrounded by the same type of personnel. I mean, this is the thing. Houston's had a couple years now to build around Harden. I mean, they've had him for a few years. Oklahoma City just lost Kevin Durant. When they made the Serge Ibaka trade to the Magic and they got Aladipo, they were thinking of teaming Aladipo off the bench and still having KD there. They had the bigs already. Um, with Adams and Cantor, they really didn't need Ibaka. They had the shooting in Durant, and then Aladipo is another person who can create shots. Anyway, my point is that the team was, has always been built around both Durant and Westbrook, having the both of them. It, they, I really do think it caught them off guard. They could have probably done a better job of preparing for the departure of Durant, but I don't think that they necessarily did. So, you know, to be honest, they're kind of scrambling here from the, my perspective, and Westbrook is surrounded by people who don't necessarily fit his game right now. He would be much better suited around a couple spot-up three guys, a couple three and D guys. I think, you know, that would create the spacing for him to create those lobs to Adams again. Most defenses have started to steal or take away that play entirely. They're yeah. just packing the paint, Absolutely. they're packing them in, um, and, you know, the spacing is kind of gone. And, you know, that being said, Westbrook's still getting to, the, getting to the line 11 times a game. He's still hitting about 45% of his shots on the year. You know, based on the, the amount of shot, he's not just a volume shooter in the Allen Iverson camp or a three in the Charles Barkley camp in the sense that he's making them at a higher clip than that. And not to mention, he makes dagger stuff. I mean, he's <laughs> a clutch performer. He seems like when they need that big three... He hits it. And right now, I'm, to be honest, I was a little surprised they got the 6-1 and one start. I know they've stumbled back, but to be 8-5 and five now, while they're just kind of figuring out the dynamics of the team, is in a pretty good way. And I think he's going to have to, unfortunately, take bad shots and force certain things because he is that guy. I don't want him passing to Roberson in the <laughs> last one minute. You know, I mean, I may want him passing to some other guys, but, we can you know, on. until we figure some, I think until he figures out and the, the Thunder figure out kind of the best people to surround him with, he's, he's going to be forcing things. Well, I think that's a great point about, you know, I think it's a telling stat that, you know, even just watching those games, those lobs to Adams are not there like they were last year. You're absolutely right. That is not necessarily Westbrook's fault. They don't have the talent around him that he probably should. Now, is that to say that, he still needs, you know, I think his shot selection could be better. I think that this is a guy that when he's one-on-one, when there's a defender in front of him, he's going to get by that defender. That's something we saw in the playoffs last year. That's something why I believe that, you know, they had the 3-1 lead over Golden State, and the reason that, you know, San Antonio has historically struggled with the Thunder is because they have no one to guard Westbrook. They have no one to stay in front of Westbrook. This guy will blow right by you. It doesn't matter who's guarding you. And that's something it doesn't seem like he does enough. He loves to pull up jumper, he loves to pull up game, and he loves to take those dagger threes. You're right, he makes those dagger threes, but it's just as important to note, he loves to take those dagger threes. And he will not, you know, he's a, he's a good dagger shooter, but he will take, you know, it always seems like he's taking the three with the guy in front of him to put him up five, to put him up eight, and those are the tough ones. And, yeah. you know, it it's not always the best idea. Try to get to the rim, try to get to the line. But... Just so the audience knows, James and I have made a bet here that I took the Rockets to go further in the playoffs. He took the Thunder to go further in the playoffs. We bet dinner on it. It's on the board. 
We're going to yes. be tracking that all year, so we're excited. But for now, let's move on to um, another team that has been, I guess you could say a surprise this year, is the Clippers. Clippers are dominating the West right now. They have the best record in the NBA. Clippers are number three in offensive rating and number two in defensive rating. They have a better point differential through 11 games than the Warriors did last year. Warriors, obviously, 73 wins last year. Greatest regular season in the history of the NBA. But the Clippers have been impressive, man. Only team in the league in top five in both offensive and defensive rating. Chris Paul looks good. What can you say about the Clippers, James? It's interesting. I know they were getting a little bit of hype in the, in the preseason, and, and there's some people who even picked them to go quite far. Um, you know, obviously, they, they've got Chris Paul, Jordan, Blake Griffin. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I hear those stats, and I think they're great. For me, the Clippers are kind of a team that beasts in the regular season. They're going to beat up on the teams that are, like, you know, fifth, you know, under 500. But when they get to teams against the Warriors against the Spurs, right. against uh, you know some of the other premier teams, the Cavs. I feel like they're a little bit outclassed, and I think it's just a weird mix and hodgepodge. I mean, I like Blake Griffin a lot. I don't feel like he's somebody who would be my go-to guy on uh, any kind of championship team. So you're not he, buying it? I'm not buying it. I'm not okay. buying them with the championship title. Look, I think that one thing that anyone who watches the Clippers can agree on is they have been owned by the Warriors over the last couple of years. Owned. 100%. Since they lost that series, you know, a couple of years ago, and it's been tough for them. I feel kind of, you know, it's like they can't beat this one team. They're a great basketball team, but and I think it's going to come down to Blake Griffin, like you said. Maybe he wouldn't be your number one pick, but in order for them to win in the playoffs, he's going to have to be the best player in a seven-game playoff series against either the Spurs or the Warriors. You know, that's what it's going to come down to. They are in that class right now. They are just as good as those teams at least in the regular season. We've seen them yeah. dominate the regular season. Yeah. We don't know. They haven't done it in the playoffs. Obviously, they have, you know, that's been the hindrance on Chris Paul's whole career is he's never made it out of the second round. And he's had good enough talent. And, you know, this is the kind of the year. It's like every year, do the, should the Clippers blow it up? Do they bring it back next year? Are they, is it worth it to bring back a, however much, you know, the, one of the highest luxury taxes in the league? Does Ballmer even care? That's another argument. But is it worth it to keep bringing it back if you're just going to be a second-round playoff team? Who knows? But... I'm in the camp that you should bring it back. I think that a team like this doesn't come around just overnight. This is a talented, talented football, uh, basketball team, excuse me. And they got a guy like a, you know, a Blake Griffin who is capable of taking it to that next level. We've seen him capable. Yeah. You know, in the in the uh, series against the Spurs two years ago, we saw him dominate. Do you remember that year? They lost to the Rockets. They were down 3-1, but or they were up 3-1, but Blake Griffin was the best player in the playoffs that year. He was an MVP candidate. And that's where he's going to have to go for them to win – Deep in the pay, in the playoffs. Yeah, he really does need to take this game up a whole nother level when it comes to that. I mean, he needs to be that guy. I feel like, you know, Chris Paul at this point in his career, I love him. He's amazing. We kind of know what he is. We know what he can do. I mean, he is playing on kind of like a historic level this season, and they're attributing it to the LASIK eye surgery, which I don't know. Is neither, I kind of have no opinion on that. I don't know <laughs> how that will kind of play out. But um, it's interesting. We kind of, I feel like we know who he is. The kind of X factor is kind of like Blake and his development and like, can he take it up another level? He has, like you said, and, and referred to, and I agree, that he's played at that level at times through his career, and he's still a relatively young player. He's still kind of growing in his game. I mean, his outside shot has clearly gotten better over the past few years. He's started to incorporate the three. That's going to allow him to create a lot more space yeah. also in the offense and get by people on the dribble, use his athleticism a little bit more. You know, there, I, I hesitated when you first asked about the uh, Clippers, and I, I don't know 
what you think on this, because you're right, on paper, during the regular season, they're really good, and looking at them, I'm not even sure what they would need in terms of like an external piece or another piece to kind of put them over the top for the Warriors, and, and I think what you said about Blake Griffin just being that guy already, he's there and just taking up a notch, may be exactly right, but if there's something else you could think of, what would it be right. well, that I you think, think would add to the Clippers' chances? The other issue with the Clippers with you know the postseason failures has been that fifth guy. They have this great core four. They got Redick, they got Paul, obviously the two big guys, Griffin and DeAndre, and then they got Luke and Bambute. I mean, who's the odd guy out there? I mean, <laughs> come on, the guy can't yeah. shoot. And I know Doc loves him. We know Doc's Doc, the GM, has been obviously different from Doc, the coach. Been you know much maligned over his years as a GM, bringing in this guy like his son. They have never had a great bench. The one year they did think they had the great bench, Lance Stevenson. We all know how that worked out. This year, you <laughs> he know, was not born ready that year. No, he was not. This year, <laughs> I've heard people talking about Ray Felton and you know Maurice Spates being the bench guys. I'm not buying it. I'm a Knicks fan. Ray Felton, has, his good years are long past him. <laughs> Maurice Spates, big man version of J.R. Smith, not buying it. Yeah. Paul Pierce, guy's about five years past his prime. So I think the key is partially going to be finding that fifth guy. Now, is that guy on the roster right now? I don't know. Who would fit in that role? I don't know. They've had trouble filling that, filling that role. You know, it makes sense. A guy like, you know, Wesley Matthews, they tried, didn't work out. Wesley Johnson, the guy they tried, didn't work out. But that's the kind of guy, you know, a guy who can play that Mbamute defense because they do need they do need that stopper. They do need a guy to guard Durant, clearly. They need a guy to guard Kawhi. And that's where Mbamute fits, but the guy can't shoot. And that's an issue. In the playoffs, everyone says, you know, everyone talks about it. You're not going to have, you know, it's the Clippers. Part of why they make are such a good regular season team is, you know, in the playoffs you have so much time to prepare. They can just not defend a guy like Mbamute. They just won't. It's like Roberson with the Thunder. They just won't defend him. Yeah. And if he's not going to make enough shots to beat you, that can literally lose you a playoff series, even with as much talent as you have, as you know, as the Clippers do have. So you know, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. This is the best start they've had in franchise history. Yeah. Maybe it's a different year. Maybe it's going to be the same old. You know, it's obviously. I think we're all aware it's going to come down to them, and it looks like it's going to be them against the Warriors or them against the Spurs in the second round of the playoffs. And it's going to define maybe Chris Paul's career. This could be it for him. I mean, he doesn't have that many runs left. I'll say it right now. If nothing changes with that team personnel-wise, they're not getting past the second round. Again. Interesting. So you would have them losing to the Spurs? Absolutely. Interesting. And the Warriors, I assume, as well. The yeah, Warriors definitely. tend to own them. Okay. Well, I think, I don't know. I think I would have them beating the Spurs. I think, I, I think this is the year for the Clippers. I'm going to take them to go to the Western Conference Finals. Oh, interesting. I think they're going to lose to the Warriors there. I still think the Warriors are the favorite. But I think, it's their, I think it's their year. So let's move on. Um, a stat that I think would surprise many people is uh, something that I've heard people talking about, and is it sustainable or not? Again, like I said, we're kind of in that are-they-for-real part of the NBA season. Do you know who number two in the uh, league is in offensive rating? Could you take a guess? Number two? Yeah, I'll tell you this. You wouldn't probably guess it, but let's hear it. Um, Raptors. No. It is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, obviously, we know Andrew Wiggins on fire to start the season, 53% from three. I mean, (laughs) I don't think anyone thinks that's sustainable, but the team looks good. I mean, look, the team is still not winning too many games. I think, what if they won four or five games so far to start the year? Um, So, they're still not producing as much on the court. They're four and seven, so they're not really winning the games, but the offense looks really good. 
Towns looks really good. What yeah. do you think? I mean, when I see them and I watch them, all I think about is when the Thunder had Durant and Westbrook and right. they drafted Harden. I mean, it was kind of like you saw the early film. They were trying to figure things out. I mean, we've got some of the most phenomenal talent. They, the Minnesota has some of the most phenomenal talent in the right. NBA, for sure. I mean, if you have Towns, that's building block number one. Absolutely. He's arguably the best big man already in the game. And... Uh, you know, from that, you got Wiggins, who's really taking that next step, it looks like, this year. Obviously, like you said, a little too early to tell. The 50% from three is definitely not going to be sustainable. I don't think anyone thinks that's going to sustain. Um, but so. at the same time, like, he's definitely made improvements to his game. He's 21 years old. And that's crazy that's to think insane. back. Like, he's been around a couple years now. Kid's 21. It's crazy. You know, Towns is crazy young. They brought Dunn in. I know Dunn hasn't done much now. And it's kind of nice that they have Rubio as the buffer. It's kind of like an embarrassment of riches of sorts. I mean, this kid Dunn, to me, is going to be a really good NBA player. I don't, I don't know if the, me comparing the, that to Harden coming into Oklahoma City is fair. Because right. at this point in That's time, Harden's such a, too early. a beast. Way too early to call that. But the idea is that they still were bringing in this lottery pick, right. a kid with a ton of potential, just like the kind of Harden situation. So... You know, I think if they stay healthy and they stay gelled, like I, I do think that this Timberwolves team is for real, and they're going to make a little bit of noise in the second half of the year. I don't think, you know, it's obviously, again, too early to call. I don't think that they're going to make any noise necessarily in the playoffs, but right. I think they get in that playoff spot. You know, the 7-8 the in the West has become very up and down the last couple of years, and uh, when you look at the bottom of those standings, I mean, you know, I don't know, the Lakers, Blazers... Nuggets, Rockets, I mean, for me, any of those teams could kind of fall off. Yeah, I mean, I think Rubio is an interesting, he's a very polarizing guy in the NBA, and it's kind of, you know, the guy's such a good passer, but can you win with a guy who, can you win with a point guard who literally can't shoot threes? I mean, it's not just threes, the guy won't shoot, period, past, you know, 18 feet or whatever. Like, can you win in the NBA today with a guy like that? And I don't know, that's a question that remains to be seen. The Timberwolves are 4-7, and seven. I think you're right. I think they're going to be right in the hunt there for that. 7-8 seed. Look, the Lakers, who knows? They got off to a decent start, but the Lake, I don't think anyone would argue the Lakers have more talent than the Timberwolves. Towns would be the best player on the Lakers, and so would Wiggins. So I think that they are going to be right in there for that 7-8 seed. The offense has been spectacular to start the year. The defense has not been quite there. They're going to need to step it up, but... And know, that's the interesting thing, too, because coming doable. in the year, you would think you know Thibodeau would right. have been the one... Getting the D, and that's why when you said that stat about the offensive efficiency, I, I wouldn't have suspected. I think most people wouldn't expect that. No, you wouldn't. Um, and that's kind of where that blending comes in. I mean, you know, it's great to have a bunch of talent, just like the Thunder did back in the day. It's a whole other thing to be a cohesive unit and right. to come together. And then to start accepting roles. I mean, they also have some pretty phenomenal scoring in Levine. Yeah, um, Levine's very polarizing. Don's not sure where he fits in. Like I said, Rubio maybe fits in better now than ever because he basically doesn't have to shoot anymore. Right. I mean, he can rebound, steal, and, and, and dish. And, uh, you know, Dieng's taking another step. I mean, he's a wonderful defender. Yeah. Um, he wasn't playing a bunch of minutes last year. If you can get him next to Towns, that's a pretty imposing right. front court um, well, I, rim I th- protection. I think that you got to figure out who you're going to play next to Towns. Is he a four? Is he a five. Yeah. I think most people would say he's a five. Who do you play at the four? Is it a guy like Dang or is it a guy, I mean, really the ideal guy would be Porzingis. Right. <laughs> As a Knicks fan, that would be, I mean, <laughs> I'm salivating, thinking that would yeah. be an imposing but I don't know if Dang fits in there, a guy who is a good defender, but clearly it's not working on the defensive end but I think there's optimism, you know, Thibodeau is a great defensive coach, we all know that but are they going to put it together? I don't know, they have a lot of questions. I've never been super high on Levine, yeah. I don't know. He's never really been the kind of guy. He's kind of like a 
poor man's Westbrook, very poor man's Westbrook, yeah, yeah. A broke man, homeless man's Westbrook. I mean, the guy <laughs> he takes tough shots. He's athletic, but he doesn't really know what he is yet. Is he a one? Is he a two? I don't think he's a one. But then he's not. Is he a good enough shooter to be a two? We don't really know. A lot, a lot of questions with this team, but you know, no one can doubt the, you know, the like you were saying, the similarities to the Thunder. They have two young guys who are primed to be superstars in the NBA, and that's. So important, you know, superstars drive the league. You're not going to win in this league without superstars. And they got two guys who look like potential superstars. So let's move on now to something that, you know, on any basketball podcast, you have to talk about the Warriors. <laughs> I mean, who are we kidding here? Let's not. Let's not, <laughs> let's not talk about them. You don't want to talk about the Warriors. We got to talk about the Warriors. I'm in that, I'm in that hurt camp from all their... Uh... James is, uh, is bitter. <laughs> I'm a Kevin Durant fan. I, I like. I still like this. I'm, I don't know. I still like this Warriors team. I'm rooting for them. Look, the offense is off the charts good. They're going to be able to score on anyone. The defense. They're 15th in defensive rating, middle of the pack right now. Look, can you win with a middle of the pack defense? I don't know. It's tricky. Can they have a good def- Can they form a good formulate a good defense with Patchouli at the five? Probably not. The guy is. You know. Got feet of lead. He can't jump. He can't rim protect. He's a smart player, crafty player, but they need a rim protect. I mean, with like we've talked about before, Draymond Green is not going to be able to burden that load for the whole year. That's why Bogut was so important because on a nightly basis, they didn't need to go to the death lineup. They could play Bogut at the five and have formidable rim protection in a guy like Bogut, who is one of the best in the NBA. And Durant is a guy who has unbelievable talent. One of the best players in the NBA. You know, if you were to create a score, a basketball score in a laboratory, it would be Kevin Durant. But the guy doesn't bring it every night on the defensive end. No. So, you know, the defense is going to be tricky. What are, you, what are your thoughts there? Um, well, you know, like I said before, I said I didn't even want to talk about them. I'm joking, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, a part of me is just like I'm trying to figure out whether I'm a little bit biased because, you know, the cockiness that they exude is really kind of frustrating for me. <laughs> but it's also like a direct link to what I think about their defense and where I think they are. Like, I do think that they're just good enough offensively at this point to just cruise through the regular season. Might not matter. Right now, so far, they're just outscoring everybody by a ton. I right. Mean, their offensive firepower is just off the charts. And um, I just don't know if they're going to have that switch to turn on. And I don't know if they're going to use those rotations that you're talking about that are necessary for them to become a good defensive team when it matters most. And I don't think the makeup of their five, obviously, um, is really like a defensive unit. I mean, Curry's a terrible defender. I mean, definitely below average. Terrible might be too far. Um, Below average. Durant is a below average defender. I mean, he showed flashes in the playoffs last year. He really did well, actually, against Golden State. That being said, like, I don't want flashes from somebody. He's not a solid defender. You know, so you're looking at Dre, you're looking at Clay. Those two guys are really good defenders. Um, and then zero rim protection. And I think, just to be honest, I, I think that that cockiness is going to, um, you know, take away a little bit because I don't, I don't know how hard they feel like they have to work. You know, I feel like last, last year the Cavs started busting them in the chops a little bit, starting to get physical, muck it up a little bit. And um, I, think, I think that threw them off. And everything was kind of had come easy to them at right. that point. And I think it might even come a little bit easier for them during this um, regular season where in the playoffs it's going to be hard for them to flip a, a defensive switch unless they figure things out during the regular season and right now I don't see it on the defensive end they kind yeah. of are just toying with teams playing with fire and then 
outscoring them in the fourth from what it looks like the minute. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Draymond Green leads the team in rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. <laughs> yeah. That's not sustainable. I mean, you don't want to put that kind of a burden on a guy like that because you're going to need him in the playoffs. So he's not going to be able to be that guy, that full energy guy night tonight. That's why Bogut was so essential because they didn't need him to be that guy night tonight. They could play the death lineup when they needed to and, you know, in big games and when they were down and, you know, whatever. That's a separate conversation if whether going for 73 ultimately hurt them in the playoffs. But right. I think you're right. Like, we saw, the, we saw the blueprint to beat the Warriors. The Cavs showed us the blueprint to beat the Warriors. It's put Steph in pick and roll, get him switched on to a – a, a guy who where the where you like the matchup and let that person go go attack one on one. We saw LeBron have some of the best games not only of his career that anyone in the history of the NBA has ever played in the yeah. in the last couple games of the finals there. And Kyrie obviously hit that dagger and it played some sensational basketball, largely being defended by Curry. So the blueprint is there now. Can that blueprint be executed by anyone other than the Cavaliers? I don't know. Yeah, we're talking about the Clippers earlier. Clippers obviously have their question marks. And now in the West, is there another formidable contender now that the Spurs are without Duncan and maybe are, are aging a little bit? We don't really know yet. No one's emerged except for the Clippers, I guess. But, you know, the Clippers, like we said, are, are have their questions. But it's going to be tricky. We're not going to know until the playoffs whether this defense is going to come bite them because, like you said, I agree. The regular season is going to be a breeze for them. They're not going to get challenged. I mean, this team has got too much talent to – get challenged by any, you know, Utah Jazz or whatever in the regular season. Like, they might lose 10 games, they might lose 15, but they're going to be the number one seed in the West when it comes playoff time. And it's going to come down to can they muster enough on the defensive end to beat these teams like the Spurs and like the Cavs when it matters because they're going to have to play, unless they bring someone else in, they're going to have to play Durant at the 5, Draymond at the Draymond and Durant at the 4-5, and that's tough, you know, that's... Not enough size. I don't, is that enough size to beat a team like the Spurs and the Cavs? We don't really know. So, we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see it play out. I, I think it is, you know, it'll be... Right now, obviously, the defense they're playing, I don't think so, you know, just to reiterate that. But, you know, I guess the main point here, too, is just kind of like to find, like, a kink, uh, kink in their armor. I mean, so to speak, because, you know, coming in, they're obviously the clear number one favorite to win the championship. Vegas has them there. Every NBA expert you talk to has them there. Everybody has them winning the championship this year. And, you know, it's hard to argue that point. They had one of the best teams in the NBA, and they brought in one of the top three players in the NBA. So anytime that happens, obviously they're the clear-cut favorite. I I wouldn't take that away from them. I think that's exactly who they are, and that's where they belong to be. Um, But if I am going to look at a kink in the armor, I think it is that uh, D. And I do think that it'll be hard for them if I'm going to pick on something that is gonna. I think it'll be hard for them to turn over in the postseason and just all of a sudden turn it on. I don't see that happening. I do think that they need to kind of tighten it up somewhere within the regular season. I'm sure Kerr feels the same way, and he's probably going to start to go that direction. Maybe start playing to- to- toying around with some of the uh, the yeah. lineups. Maybe even making a trade for a rim protector. It'll right. be interesting to see what they do if they make a move there or not. Yeah, there are guys available. We've talked about a guy like Nerlens Noel. Could fit perfectly there, just a pure rim protector, not a guy who has a lot of offensive skill, but not like they need that. Um, look, I think that I've largely been under the belief that in order to beat the, re- the Warriors in the regular season, they're going to have to blow them out because their fourth quarter offense is just too damn good. Right. They're too hard to guard in the fourth quarter when they spread it out and they run pick and roll with Draymond and Steph. It's just too hard to guard. 
And now when you put a guy like Durant in place of Barnes there, it's, I mean, how are you going to guard that? It's scary. I mean, you're laughing just thinking, it's, you can't guard it. Yeah. It's insane. I'm looking at it right now. They, the, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry both have over 26.8 PER. Steph's 26, and Kevin Durant's at just about 30. 30 is that baseline where you're an MVP candidate. So these guys are both at playing at a phenomenal level. Obviously, Draymond, you know, always going to be bringing it. So this team is still going to be, you know, as much as they had the two blowout losses, this team is still an unbelievable talent and an all-time great team and is going to be right there come playoff time at the number one seed. So I think one thing we both want to talk about next year is our beloved New York Knicks. Oh, yeah. As much as uh, they might have been, you know, frustrating the hell out of us this year, something that I've always felt, um, you know, everything about the coaching decisions and about... Dolan aside, something that's really frustrated me just about the team recently is I've felt like Melo's best when he plays the four and Porzingis is best when he plays the five. And why do we bring a guy like Noah in if the team is so good with Melo at the four and Porzingis at the five? I mean, that lineup should be so difficult to guard. The floor is going to be spaced. Porzingis is already making this leap this year. The guy's been an animal, you know, hitting threes from everywhere, yeah. protecting the rim, doing everything that we hoped he'd be doing in his second year. Derrick Rose looks, you know, okay. He'd probably look a lot better with the floor spaced with Porzingis and uh, Melo out there. It's just, it's frustrating to me that that lineup doesn't see more run. Right. I don't know what your thoughts are, but... I mean, yeah, I think that's really frustrating. It's a great point about Noah. You know, I think... The idea there was, uh, I don't know what it was, I, I'm just trying to think, maybe it was, you know, to try to drum up some of that defensive talking and like kind of maybe almost as a mentor for some of the younger guys to see how like team defense is played. Noah's really good at bringing the energy. He's uh, really kind of taken Porzingis under his wing. Mm-hmm. And there is some benefit there for the veteran, but that you're right to have him play. I wonder myself, and I don't know, maybe you would know, um, I don't think Melo's happy playing the four. I think he wants to be a three. I think he's talked about it in times before, about not being comfortable at the four. Um, And you know, this is a superstars league. I think Melo still gets to call a lot of the shots in the Knicks. I think it's one of their biggest problems there. Um, If we're going to make this thing for Zingas' team, and we're going to start to build around him, and we are going to use him as a five, and have somebody else there at the four... You know, I mean, this is obviously a bigger conversation, not necessarily one we have to have now, but I don't know how much Melo actually fits in there at all. You know, I would like to see, while he is there, like you said, some of the other lineups. I think that they have clearly worked better. You know, Rose, to me, is okay. He's definitely obviously lost a bunch. I almost prefer to see Jennings in there also. I think Mm -hmm. he moves the ball a lot better. I think he's a pass-first guard. I think Rose sometimes forgets that he doesn't have that explosion anymore like he used to. And he still plays in a way that, um, you know, just isn't suitable to who he is as a player anymore. Right. I mean, he just can't finish the way that he wants to. Yeah. And, um, and you know, no fault of his own, man. He was an amazing player. It's just the injuries have definitely taken their toll. And uh, I don't see him getting that back. I don't know. You know how you feel, and I don't know if we want to get into discussions around Melo and, and how he actually fits here. But I think, you know, to answer that question, I, I don't think Melo wants to play the four. And I think he's probably voiced that quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. I, I know Melo had his best season as a Nick when he was consistently playing the four on the 53-win team with Mike Brown, and, you know, that team had more pieces, but that was the best this Knicks team, this iteration of the Melo Knicks have looked, and that was with Melo at the four and spreading the pick and roll around to Tyson Chandler, 
and Raymond Felton pick and roll that was surprisingly effective. I right. remember Chandler was great at finishing lobs, and Porzingis can be much more effective in that role because he Absolutely. can hit threes and he can still finish around the rim. And <clears throat> look, I've and I think you're in, under the same camp here that we have both been in the camp of wanting to trade Melo for a long time now. Yeah. I think the guy's past his prime. He's a, a win now player on a on a team that's timeline is not in win now mode as much as they might want to be. They're not. They're not a team that's going to win a championship at least for the next five, six years. Not while LeBron's in the East, I can tell you that much. Yeah. And so I think they got to trade Melo and you know set that timeline up around Porzingis because Porzingis could be a superstar in this league, not just a star. He can be a superstar in this league. The guy showed flashes just in a second year of like major improvements. Absolutely. We've seen the guy drop thirty six the other night his career. I mean, the guy can hit. He's developing a post game. He's still got the stroke. He can offensive rebound. He can put the ball on the floor. and He's a great defensive time. Great, great defensive player, rim yeah. protection. And it's, it's, that's who we should be building around. Look, Noah, that's something we can talk about. He's, I think he's still at least good to have on the team. Maybe he shouldn't be starting. But yeah. guy does bring great energy. He's a good offensive rebounder. He's a good passer. He's a good culture guy. Right. And he, I mean, he makes the garden have fun. And additionally, yeah. we're not winning anything. We're definitely not going anywhere and looking at winning. I like to go and have a good time. Absolutely. I like to watch them and have fun watching them. Noah brings some of that fun, some of that energy. I don't love the signing, you know, just like you were saying. I think they're a more effective team a lot of times when he's off the court. But I think, you know, while he is there and having him, he can definitely help some of the younger guys. And it is interesting to watch him kind of work with Porzingis. I think you were also talking about that the other day, about they kind of developed a friendship off the court. Which is uh, you know interesting to watch, and I, I you know I don't know necessarily where it goes from here. I know he's got a couple years on the contract, um, but at least he's healthy, you know, and, and maybe he yeah. can bring more. He had a, he had a really nice game a couple games ago, and I think for him it's just a matter of not being able to be as consistent as he once was. I mean, you know, right. another one just kind of aging and you know the injuries have kind of caught up, and he's he has a few gems left in him, you know, and it's kind of fun to watch him when those moments are happening. No, I mean, this is a guy, you know, three years removed from being an MVP candidate. And if you remember those Bulls teams, the year Rose went down, he was the team. I mean, he was an assist guy, a point guy, and a rebound guy. And he he took them, you know, they won that seven game, that crazy seven game series against the the Nets, uh, you know, the Brooklyn Nets. And that was, you know, that's Noah's peak. And we're not going to get that guy, but we're not that far removed from him. And I think that he's a good player, but he's not. He doesn't fit the timeline. That's the frustrating part about this Knicks team. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that Porzingis, I mean, the guy just seems like he develops chemistry with everyone. Like, Jennings and him have developed great chemistry <laughs> in the pick and roll. Like, yeah. the guy, he, they're hitting him for pick and pop threes. He's always open, it seems like. And he's, like, he's such an easy player to play. He can fit in so many different lineups. Yeah. He can be a stretchier four. He can protect the rim. He can, you know, run pick and roll. He can run pick and pop. He can run anything, and he can fit in because he's got he's your multi-talented guy. And to have a guy like that, I mean, as a Knicks fan, it's, like, shocking we even have a guy this good yeah. because it's been so long since we've had such a good young player. Like, Almost unbelievable. Literally, you couldn't think back to the last time we were this excited about a young player. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I think back, I don't know why this guy pops into my head, but Landry Fields had a good run for about half a year. <laughs> Guy's out of the NBA now. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time we had a rookie this good? It's, it's shocking. Yeah. And um, look, we are homers, we are Knicks fans, but we are pessimistic Knicks fans because it's hard to be super optimistic about this team. They're five and seven. The defense looks terrible. Their point differential is terrible. I don't know. 
Honestly, I was just thinking to I hadn't thought about this, but to your question, I mean, maybe Patrick Ewing. It it might be. It might go back that far. Yeah. Excited about a a a young player, and you know, (laughs) it's crazy. It it really is crazy. I mean, I can't think of anybody else. I'm trying right now. Uh, You know, other than that, you know, the other thing about Porzingis and you talking about him developing chemistry, you know, just to, you know, not to. you know, pump him up too much, as I say, you, we are Homer fans and everything else, but he's such a likable guy, he's yeah. so, like, kind of humble, um, self-deprecating in interviews, really kind of always talking about the team and the veterans and what they've shown him, and kind of always Absolutely. deflecting attention off of himself and onto others, and it's like, you know, he's a kid also, I mean, he's just a huge seven foot three. <laughs> You know, 21-year-old kid, kid yeah. who, like, Absolutely. is having fun. You watch him out there, and he's playing basketball in the NBA in New York City. And, like, that feeling comes through in, like, his energy. He's, like, excited to be out there. You know, he's excited to, like, play Absolutely. with his guys and make these friendships and enjoy himself. And he, he likes working out. He, you know, he likes everything about the game. It's hard not to fall in love with a guy like that, especially when we haven't seen that type of joy, just like pure joy playing basketball in quite some time here in New York City. So I think, um, you know, it's fitting that everybody has, uh, you know, KP fever, six <laughs> God, three, six Latvia. Well, I'm fully with the fever. I'm, I'm <laughs> sick as it can get with that fever. Um, so, you know, it's the East is interesting this year because the top of the league, you know, the top of the East, we obviously we got the Cavs. The Hawks are off to a good start. The Hornets are off to a good start. You got the Raptors who are going to be there, but a lot of these middling teams that were playoff teams last year that don't necessarily look as good. I mean, Pacers are not have had their issues, negative point differential. So do the Celtics. So do the Pistons. Are, do any of these teams intrigue you? And do you think any of these teams could challenge the Cavs come playoff time? Um, or is it the Raptors? I don't know about challenging the Cavs. You know, I, that's a tough one to answer now unless something you know happens to the Cavs and Kyrie and Love and LeBron without injuries I don't think anybody necessarily challenges them to a degree the team that you mentioned though that I have really kind of off so far at this point and I guess we'll see if they can get you know the direction back are the Pacers I really like the Teague bringing in Teague I really liked having Thad Young there I really like Miles Turner in years two you know, and then obviously they've got the Alpha and George, who's like an, a legitimate superstar. I mean, not just yeah. like a, an all-star. I mean, that guy's a superstar <clears> player. <throat> Absolutely. I thought surrounding him with some of these solid guys. You know, they're another one who I think is, is are feeling their ways out. I think they'll get better. How much better? That one's a little hard to tell. Um, I'm definitely surprised how much they've stumbled out of the gate, but it looks like guys like Monte Ellis are really struggling with their new roles. It looks like Thad Young's trying to find a way in there. Yeah. You know, Miles is Al still Jefferson. really young, so he's up and down. Yeah, Al hasn't really found his niche off the bench there so far. So I think there's still, and Teague is struggling also, you know, and I, I don't know. He, I think you actually said he may be a bit overrated. Um, yeah, I wasn't a fan. Season. I wasn't a fan of that move. I, I thought George Hill was perfect for that, for that scheme because he, he can play. He's kind of like, a, you know, a perfect point guard for any system. He can play off the ball. He's a good defender. He can hit threes. He can run pick and roll if you need him to. But he was perfect with Monte because he could play off the ball. He could spot up. He's a good three-point shooter. And Monte could run pick and roll and do what Monte, Monte Ellis things. We all have seen yeah. him do for 10 years and, you know, know and love Monte Ellis by now. And he is what he is, but he's, he's not a great player. But he's, you know, he can get it done on the offensive end. But I felt like that was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to losing that seven-game series to the Raptors that – 
they were right there. I mean, that was a toss up. It was an amazing series. It was, you know, it was a close series. The basketball wasn't great. Some of those games were low scoring, beat them up games, but it was definitely a good series. Um, but I, I thought it was, I mean, it reminded me a bit of the Knicks trading a guy like George Hill, who is a good young player for a guy like Teague, who is, you know, had a decent career, a bit of a frustrating career because it always just felt like he's had more to offer than maybe he's, you know, necessarily brought to the table. You know, the Hawks have always been a good team, never a great team. They've topped out as at getting swept by the Cavs a couple times and, yeah. That must be frustrating for them because, you know, they've had talent and they've played great team basketball and they've won 60 games and they yeah. just still can't get by the Cavs. And, you know, that brings us back to the kind of the issue with the NBA now. And, you know, the NBA is thriving. It's in a great – I think anyone who follows the league like we do or, you know, who follows the league really at all would agree that the, that the league is in a great place right now. You know, tons of young talent, good rivalries. Absolutely. You know, loaded rosters, super teams, drama, everything. But is it all for naught if we're just going to get the same two teams in the finals at the end of the year? And barring any major injury, are we just headed to year three of Cavs Warriors? Right. That's what it looks like right now. I it's mean, it's tough to, to argue a, against it. Exactly. That's the thing where I find it. Like, I want to make arguments for a lot of the other teams. Like, right. I find myself, like, wanting to find reasons I agree. Pick other ones, but like if I cut through all the BS, like it's pretty yeah. much the Cavs and Warriors. No, if we get honest, like the Cav. I mean, I I don't think anyone thinks there's a team in the East that can beat the Cavs. Maybe the Hawks, but like we just said, they can't. They year after year have been abused by that team. Hornets probably not. Raptors got to six games last year, but you know, really, we're not that close when it came down to it. And. I don't think anyone doubts that the Cavs will be there. It's really going to come down to the defense of the Warriors. Is that That's going to be what can change the season because the Clippers, I think, have a chance, and the Spurs, I think, have a chance, and that's going to be it. Is it going to be one of those two teams? Can they beat the Warriors? Can they find enough chinks in that armor to yeah. where they can win a seven-game? It's just so hard to win a seven-game series. This isn't the NFL where you got one game and anything can happen. Right. This is a seven-game series where – over the course of seven games, if it, if that's how, you know, your defects as a team are going to come out. And when you're a flawed team, like a lot of these teams, like I don't think there's a perfect team in the NBA, even including the Cavs and the Warriors. There's right. not, neither of these teams are perfect. We saw that last year. It was a seven-game series. Both teams had their ups and downs. And it's, it's tough to beat a team, though, like the Warriors, who have so few deficiencies as a team. Absolutely. And I think you're right, though. I think if there is one that could happen, I think... You know, the Spurs and the Clippers are much more likely to somehow unseat the Warriors. I mean, this is all saying without any injuries happening. Right, Everybody's healthy. It's, it's then say Toronto or, you know, Atlanta is of knocking off the Cavs if the Cavs are all healthy. I just don't, I see it much more likely to happen in the West. I mean, those teams are a lot more well-balanced. I think they match up a lot better. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I love Toronto too, and, you know, it could be a segue into talking about DeRozan and how much he's taken another step forward this year and, you know, how real it, how real that is and how much that'll last. But, I mean, even if he does, like, say DeRozan stays being a monster just as he's been at the beginning of the season, you come down to, like, Lowry's not quite as good as Kyrie, and right. DeRozan's nowhere near LeBron James, and then <laughs> they don't have anybody... Who's even relatively right. in love class? I mean, Valencia Trunas is coming up. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's the Stars League, and the playoffs is obviously where the Stars start to really kind of shine. Absolutely. And, uh, 
It's really just not a matchup, to be honest. Right. It's a Stars League, but in the playoffs, it's not only is it a Stars League, it's a Stars game. It's game by game. It's just whose star can, is bet. You know, it's like it comes down to the role players when the teams are relatively equal. Yeah. Then you see the role players matter. But if when you're exactly right, it's, 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 it's literally that simple. They have LeBron, DeRozan, we can talk about off to an unbelievable start which is even more unbelievable when you think about the fact that he's not shooting any three-pointers. I mean, the guy literally doesn't shoot threes and is still averaging 32 a game and is leading the league in scoring. I mean, that's incredible. And with some enormous quarters, some really great games. You know, real quick before we get on DeRozan, I was just thinking while you were talking about being a Stars League, and I've said the same thing. You know, the one team that's really intriguing in the East is still the Celtics. We haven't seen them at full strength yet. Horford's been out with a concussion. Yeah. Uh, Crowder's been out for a long time. Obviously, they got blown out last night by Golden State. You know, a few people were looking forward to that game. But, you know, we haven't seen them yet at full strength. That's and, true. Uh, you know, the last team that won without a real star-star lineup was the Pistons. I mean, they still have Rashid. And Billups were a good right. players. Well, the like, Mavericks were sort of a bad The Mavericks but were they kind of Dirk, like that yeah. too, but they had Dirk, who yeah, was really true. big. You know, and uh, Pistons the were the last true starless. Exactly, team. you know, that's and true. like with just a really solid right. five. Right, a solid starting And five. Um, I think the Celtics can kind of be that, and if Brad Stevens can kind of get them all on the same page here, right. and, which, and everybody's healthy and everybody's kind of in sync, I think that they could actually give the Cavs fits. I don't know if they beat them. But I can see them in a seven-game series just giving them fits. They got the length. They got the athletes. They got the people to stay in LeBron's jersey, yeah. to stay all over Kyrie. I mean, Avery Bradley's a nasty defender. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I, I don't think it happens. I'm just saying if there was some team... If there was, was a pick, team, was you, would, you would take the Celtics. East, I think the Celtics would just be a menace. I, think, know, I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I... I Look, I'm as a native New Yorker. I want to hate the Celtics <laughs> because uh, they've always uh, been our rivals. But I think you're right, and this brings in another conversation of that. You know, they obviously have all these trade pieces, and what are five first round picks? It's not actually you know whatever. What are two next upcoming first round picks? If you know all your guys aren't going to be the right age at the right time, you know, it's just having a bunch of picks is not a team. Right. Having a bunch of first round picks is great, but if you can't flip them into anything. You don't have a team. I mean, this team is not a championship team right now. As much as their future is bright, and they had the heist of the century ripping off Brooklyn for all those aging stars yes. and getting rid of Rondo. I mean, talk about a quick rebuild. But, you know, that's they don't have a basketball team right now that can contend. And, you know, do they bring in a guy like a Boogie Cousins? I mean, that's a guy that obviously Celtics fans, I think, have wanted to see in, in Boston. I think that most Celtics fans believe that Brad Stevens, who is an unbelievable coach, could help turn Boogie's career around and Horford maybe he's the perfect partner with him because they both have a little range they can both hit mid-range jumpers and Boogie can you know maybe they can help extend his range and maybe he's the perfect fit there and with Boogie then they I think with Boogie Cousins maybe even without Boogie but they are probably the clear number two team in the east would you agree yeah I can with see Boogie. that do they challenge? Yeah, I think they would. They'd be the number two. I think immediately, kind of off that, you move Horford to the four, which he's shown Absolutely. he can play and he's solid there. Yeah, um, got Crowder at the three, Bradley and Isaiah. I mean, that's a that's an incredible five. And then that's their formidable. Bench would be the best bench in the NBA because everybody pushes back one. Right, and you got you know Amir and uh, um, Kelly and Smart, all, and those, all guys. those guys. I mean, they're loaded. Um, now the question though is like, is Boogie worth that? Would he get them over the top? to actually challenge the Cavs. Right. And would you give up a Nets first-rounder? I mean, the Nets first-rounder could very well end up 
top three, top could be, one. It could be their one overall pick, yeah. You know, um, which is incredibly valuable. That's basically the most valuable asset that exists in the NBA. He's the number one overall pick. And and talent wise, Boogie's worth that. You know, right. I mean, he's an incredible talent. But does he fit in? What is his attitude like when right. he gets to Boston? Is he going to buy into the team? Concept? Are they a Boogie Cousins away from really competing right. with the Cavs? I think is the question you got to ask yourself exactly. if you're Danny Ainge. And I think they they believe internally that they are. I don't know if that's true, but I think they believe that they are close to competing with the Cavaliers. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? We don't. Boogie is a guy who is obviously an extreme talent and a guy who has had a tough career being in Sacramento. They've never put it together around him. You know, terrible ownership. You know, Vlade Divac doesn't really seem like he knows what, <laughs> what he's doing. Um, a team Shocker. that. Shocker, exactly. Who, who could have seen that one not working out? Um, you know, and that's a guy that I would like to see just selfishly as a basketball fan oh, in yeah. a situation where he could thrive because the guy is so t- – I mean, he's just a beast of a player. Can score in the post, can pat, really pass the ball, has some range. I mean, the guy is really freaking good. So selfishly, I'd love to see him on the Celtics or a team that can really handle him because – you know, you start to look around the league, there aren't really that many other options. Maybe the Rockets, I don't know what, what kind of package they can put together, but they have Capella, so probably not. The Lakers maybe have a package of young guys they could put together, but did the Lakers acquire a guy like that who's not really in their timeline, doesn't really fit their timeline right now with all the young guys that are looking good? I don't really know. When you really look at it, it might be the Celtics, and that might be his only real landing spot. And, you know, I, like you just said, as a basketball fan, not only just to watch Boogie on a good team, I would love that. I mean, Boogie's a fun player to watch. He's so talented. Um, but I'd love to watch that Celtics team. I mean, for, as a basketball fan, I, I mean, would they challenge the Cavs? That I don't know, but I'd love to watch them try it. You know, it'd be a ton of fun to watch Boogie out there. You know, Boogie and Horford front court with Crowder. Wow. You know, going up against the you know, Tristan Thompson and Love. I mean, that's a it's pretty a big advantage at that point. That's that, a battle. That gives them a huge advantage in the front court against the Cavs. Absolutely. Then it's kind of a matter of what you do with LeBron and Kyrie. But you know, again, they have the best matchups against them. I mean, they're the ones who have Smart and Bradley. They can throw these like tireless D guys all over Kyrie, and that's going to be right. Really a problem, and Crowder's not, not terrible on D with LeBron. I mean, as far as you can... I mean, nobody can guard LeBron, obviously, but as a team, they He's do about it as good of a matchup well, as you know? it gets. Yeah. And uh, would I love to see it? Yes. <laughs> I, I, look, we'll put it this way. According to the Bavota Sportsbook, the Hawks, the Celtics, and the Raptors, all three are equal in odds to win the NBA championship. I think you and I are in agreement. We would both take the Celtics of those three teams. Yes. So that leaves mid-tier teams like the Thunder... And the Pacers and the Bulls, Rockets, Knicks are in there. And those teams are a little lower on the, uh, on the spectrum. But would you take, I mean, if you look, if it comes down to it, just right off the top of your head, odds to win a championship, would you take the Celtics or the Thunder? Um, just Celtics. quick hitter. Celtics? Okay, what about Celtics or Rockets? Celtics. So, yeah, I mean, clearly, according to you, and I, I'm right there with you, you'd rather have the Celtics taking on the Cavs than you know, a team like the Thunder taking on the Warriors. Right. That's so, kind of what it came down to for me. I don't necessarily think the Celtics are even better than the Thunder at right. this point. It's, it's a conference thing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where the Celtics, you know, the Celtics are, again, it's tough because they've done such a good job rebuilding, but at the end of the day, you got to flip all these picks into something. you got to yeah. turn the picks into an asset that can play basketball. <laughs> Having picks is great, and it's sexy, and everyone wants to talk about how many picks you have, but... 
you got to turn it into an on-court product. I mean, yes and no. Like, I mean, I'm conflicted there because, like, you hold the pick, you could have a Jalen Brown, right, who's okay and who's fine. decent. Or you could hold the pick and, like, what if you have Carl Anthony Towns? Like, does he not come in and make your team immediately better the next year? Does he not change the entire face of the franchise? But that's like, Towns is a generational talent, I think. I mean, I don't know. And it, it's to get the number one overall pick is not easy. I mean, it's like the, the, the Nets, even as bad as they are, are still four and eight and are, you know, five, you know, in 10th place in the East. Like, it's hard to get the number one overall pick because, especially when you're not tanking yourself, you have to rely on another team to tank. Because the Nets have no incentive to tank. <laughs> Poor Nets. Poor Nets. I mean, if, I you're, if you're Brooklyn, it's hard to trust that process. It's, it's a t- <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they don't have a process. It's absolutely true. Well, speaking of the process, we've seen Embiid <laughs> come through and play pretty damn well. Yeah. And, you know, he's been exciting. And I think you talk to most guys around the league and you'd l- you hear a lot of these interviews, people think he's going to be pretty freaking good. Um what have you seen from Embiid? I mean, the guy can do it all. It seems like he can post up. I've seen him show some fancy Hakeem Olajuwon-esque post moves. Amazing. I mean, I mean, again, like I like the idea good. of fun. We talked a lot about fun yeah. today, like in Porzingis and a couple of the other guys. And Embiid is just so much fun. I mean, he's a, a totally. kid who was out for a couple of years. It looked like he might not even make it back on the basketball court for a while. A lot of people, people were skeptical were whether yeah. he could ever come back. Then here he comes. Not only just does he does he play. But he bursts on the scene. I know this, we talk about small sample sizes and like, I don't think this continues, but he's over 40% from three point range. This is a guy Crazy. who's seven foot, like he's got <laughs> 22 years old, box, 22 years old. I mean, he's got a lot of talent. I, there's no doubting that. I mean, the ceiling is high on this kid. And then that brings us to another issue is the whole conundrum that has been the Sixers for the last three years. And, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, can you play, I mean, can you play two of the Embiid, Okafor, Noel combo together? Probably not. You probably have to pick one of those guys, and it's going to be Embiid. For so sure. then who do you trade? O- I mean, we talked about Noel maybe on a team like the Warriors who need a rim protector. That would be exciting. But, you know, they got it's like at one, some point you got to get some guards. You can't just have a bunch of big guys. Yeah. you got to draft a guard every now and then. And, you know, it's looking like Embiid is going to be the guy. They always wanted Embiid to be the guy, but obviously he hadn't been on the court. So then what do you do with these other guys? Yeah, I mean, Sarich, too, is probably the power forward of the future. But what do you do with Noel and, and, you know, Okafor? Yeah, I mean, a part of me wants to see them try, like, a super huge lineup with, like, <laughs> Can Simmons you imagine? the shooting guard, Sarich at the three, Okafor at the four, and Embiid at the just five. make every basketball numbers guy just shoot themselves <laughs> immediately. <laughs> like, actually, like, go against the all of the analytics and, <laughs> and everything else that's, like, actually working in the NBA right now. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. It's funny. As, as crazy as Phil Jackson is, like I, I was th- seeing a quote from him the other day of something like, you know, if you don't have the best team, you know, why do what everybody else is doing and why fit into the system? If you right. don't have the Rolls Royce, you're not going to be in the race. So don't ad- don't adhere. And while I think Phil is pretty off base and like kind of there's like something to be stuck in the past, but there's something to be said for it. And I, I don't know. It'd be so radically different than what everybody else is doing in the NBA. Maybe it's a, a five-game experiment, but I'd just like to see it for five I'd like games to see just it to too. see that many guys out there who are like six ten and above <laughs> who actually all have like pretty good skill sets. Outside Okafor, I mean, you look at Simmons, Sarich, and Embiid. They're guys who are all six ten and above who can pass, who can shoot. Yeah. Who can... Well, I'd love to see Simmons. <coughs> well, I think, Simmons can shoot. I think sorry. we'd love to see Simmons on this team. I think a lot. I mean, Simmons, yeah. a guy who most people agree is going to be a star in the league guy who just has so too much too much talent to not 
put it all together. I mean, the guy, you're right, he can't shoot, but Kawhi couldn't shoot coming out of college. I mean, you can fix a shooting problem, yeah. but you can't teach that passing gene and that, you know, just the way he can catch the ball in the wing, push it up the floor and find, I mean, it's, it's really impressive. And this is just based off college and watching him in summer league. And so the guy's got a lot of skill and it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, <coughs> what happens with the Sixers because they are so young and they have so much talent, but you know, they can't obviously, like we were saying, play those guys together. And so. like you were saying before, I think I think obviously they need to trade a guard. I don't know. I would move either Noel or Okafor. I mean, I like both of the you guys. Wouldn't. No, I would. You would. I yeah, agree. I would move either one. I don't. I don't really have a preference which one they move. They're both. You know, they're fairly different. Okafor is so advanced offensively, but doesn't have a bunch of defense in his game right. yet. Noel is obviously so advanced defensively and doesn't have much of an offensive game. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't, and I think Embiid is the guy there, like you said, and Sarge could play the three or the four. I mean, he's fine either way. Right. Um, so I, I think you can move either one of them and feel pretty safe. And I, But I do think that they're really talented young big men. I don't think that they should just move them for the sake of moving them. I think they have to kind of hold out. They're not winning anyway. That's um, fair. They should hold out See for what something they have. decent. Yeah. Um, See what you know, they can get. Get Noel healthy, get him playing. Don't trade him while his trade value is at its absolute lowest. That's fair. And I think that... There are teams in the East that want to win now, but aren't going to make such a radical move for a guy like a boogie. You know, you got the Bucks, you got the Wizards, two teams who were in the playoffs a couple of years ago, who I think see themselves as playoff teams. But right now, we're not, you know, Wizards are have looked terrible. The Bucks are, you know, whatever yeah. five and six, middle of the pack. Um, and then you got the Magic too, and then the Knicks. I mean, a lot of these teams who have some talent in the East that are right now not in the playoffs, and it's going to be tough because, you know, if you want one of those teams in the playoffs, who do you take out of the playoffs? The Pacers, probably going to be there. Pistons, probably going to be there. It's tough. So I think that's maybe where you could find a landing spot for some of these guys in these middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference teams. I mean, do any of these teams intrigue you between the Bucks? We won't talk about the Knicks. Bucks, Magic, Wizards. Do either of those, any of those three teams have playoff potential to you? Uh, no, not right now. I mean, I think I think the Bucks could get in there. Um, obviously, I think you know the Freak is amazing. Jabari's really taking another step up this year. I think they have some solid guys. I'm not sure what Kid's doing there. I, you know, he's rotating centers out. Doesn't want to play three now. Monroe's not getting any minutes. Seems to be some discord um, within the groups, and uh, you know, there's not a ton of depth. I mean, after yeah. with Mid- I mean Middleton comes back, it changes the game obviously. But without Middleton. Um, th- I mean, they're basically the freaking Jabari, as far as uh, it yeah. looks like to me, and there's there's not a ton after that. I mean, the, could they get in? Yeah, because I think the eight in the in the East is pretty up in the air. The Magic are are kind of it's funny. We were just talking about the Sixers and like they're all their big men. It's like all the big men <laughs> in the NBA doing, went to yeah. Orlando and Philly, and like nobody else wants them. You exactly. Know? So they they just got a loaded front court. They don't have a lot much else going and on. And none of them seem to fit. You know? They don't even really fit Vogel's idea of like the defense no, first and like to grind it out. Like they're not a they grind don't. it out type of squad. I I don't see them doing much this year. They're a confusing team for sure. Yeah, and you know back to the Bucks. It's like I like Jason Kidd as a coach. He's a, basically as progressive a basketball mind as there is in the NBA. Yeah. This is a guy who had yeah, the Greek you know Giannis playing point guard last year and and dominating at it. I mean <laughs> the guy was a good point guard. And he's six eleven and has you know arms and legs as long as you know half the court. Of the, you know, I could take three strides and cover half the NBA court. Yeah. So, I think I think that the Bucks, if they can get back to that magic they found a couple years ago, 
two years ago when they were just suffocating on defense and mustered up just enough points on offense to get by. I think I could see them making a run. The Magic, they really don't seem to have any direction. They're five and seven, but minus eight point differential is not that of a five, you know, is the basically the worst in the East except for the Sixers. I don't see it with them. Uh, and then the Wizards, just disappointing, man. This team yeah. with some talent with Wall and Beal in the backcourt that is an exciting backcourt combo with, I mean, and no one would doubt that team's got talent. We were talking Otto Porter's having a good breakout year. Yeah, Otto Porter to me is the is so far the most improved player in the NBA. Guys had a good year, and where are the wins coming though? At some point, you got to win some. We can't just keep calling you a talented team. At some, at some point, you got to win some games. Yeah. Well, it was interesting to actually see the interviews with Wall and Beal in the offseason, and them basically saying they don't like playing with one yeah, another. Yeah. It's, it's. I mean, it's hard to have your two best players not, not enjoy yeah. playing together. Like. I mean, it's a hard and Howard. Yeah. Out loud. It's you a know, James Harden Dwight Howard issue. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that. Uh, you know, that obviously is going to need to be rectified before they do anything. Either, I don't know if they can mend however they play together or if they can no, move I mean, one or the other. I guess you move Beal there if you got you to gotta move Beal. I mean, Wall, I think, is... Wall should be able to play in most systems. The guy is a pass-first point guard who's maybe the fastest, most athletic point guard in the league other than Westbrook. Yeah. The guy is a beast. Can and play D. Can play defense. Not as hurt. I mean, he's hurt. But he not gets hurt, hurt but not... Right. Beal, <laughs> at some point, you got to play some game. I think it's also like... I think it's probably hard for Wall that Beal is making more money than him. I mean, it's Beal got this big deal, no, no pun intended, <laughs> but he's, he hasn't been on the court. I mean, that has to be frustrating for John Wall. This guy wants to win games, who is, has been in the playoffs, was a second-round playoff team that pushed the Pacers, that put, you know that has pushed good. They pushed the Hawks the year the Hawks were in the Eastern Conference Finals. And this is a team that has the talent to be a playoff team. And, I mean... You look at the you look at that team that pushed the Hawks to whatever it was six or, I forget if it was six or seven games the year Paul Pierce hit that shot, and this team is not that much different. I mean, you take away Paul Pierce, but that was that was not that big of a part. Like, what? Where did this all go wrong? Yeah, is what I've been is what I've been asking myself. Well, I think they haven't done a good job of getting those role players. Kind of like you talked yeah. about some of the real good teams. Like they have the talent in their five. Like they have enough. I mean, between. You know, Wall and Beal, Porter, Polish Hammer, like they've got they've got the talent. Morris is solid. Yeah. But then after that, it Trade really kind of falls off. And again, it's just like people who don't necessarily fit in roles. They don't have like the energy guy, the three and D guy, the yeah. big guy off the bench that they can kind of roll. They just don't have like that type of thing. And then obviously, I think when your two star players aren't on the same page on the basketball court, there's just no way around that. Right from not the start. Grow. Yeah. Right from the beginning. Like they, that's I tough. think that's the crux. I mean, Absolutely. You gotta you gotta rectify that. You can't have two guys who are. You can't along start. You can't start every night in the NBA with your two best players not enjoying playing with each other. It's just not going to lend itself to good team chemistry. No. And we've seen chemistry be a factor. I mean, a team like the Hawks has built a culture around chemistry. Spurs, you know, the Spurs have built culture around chemistry. The Warriors. That's probably one of the reasons Durant went there is chemistry. And when you have, like, that's really seemed to be the problem. I think you're right with the Wizards is the chemistry is not there. And then the role players don't want to play hard. And, you know, and then it's 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 a downward spiral. Yeah, we've there. talked a lot, again, I was referring to it before about having fun. They're not having fun. No. When you watch a Wizards game, <laughs> they are not playing fun Absolutely. basketball. They're not having fun playing basketball. And that's, you know, when you're three and eight, you shouldn't be having fun, I guess. I mean, yeah. you, should, you know, you got to find a way to make it enjoyable again and to get on the same page. I will tell you, the kid Porter is a lot of fun to watch, though. 
is he's he's really got some talent. I mean, I remember him coming out of college and you know liking his length, liking his uh, ability to potentially shoot the basketball and be a three and D guy. And that's another thing they need. You know, the three and D guy is it's so it's such an elusive title to have in the NBA. You know, a three and D guy is like a unicorn. It's like yeah. everyone wants to get their hands on the next three and D, the young three and D guy, the next Chris Middleton who is undervalued and who can come and play the three, you know, hit the three, obviously, and defend multiple positions. And it looks like they might have one, and that's a valuable piece to have in the NBA. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, look, I think we got a lot to watch for in the NBA. Um, put you on the spot here. If you had one thing to watch for next couple weeks, say next week in the NBA, one random little thing to watch for in the NBA, what would you do? What would you say? Huh, one random little thing. I guess, uh... can be anything. Any player you, you've been enjoyed watching, it could, I mean, we, we obviously, we have Wiggins with the three ball, we got Harden versus Westbrook, we have a few things to keep track of. I guess if there's one thing I'm going to watch for, I would pick almost kind of two, and I'm going to call it Utah and Boston. I've already talked about Boston enough, about them getting healthy. I think we see a good run from them. And... Utah, if with like they've also been kind of up and down, but Hill's been out a lot. Hood has been yeah. sick lately. Um, Hayward was out to start the year. Was, yeah. They haven't been a hundred percent full strength. That's my kind of like team to watch. I think over the next couple of weeks, Hill is back. Hood's ba- gonna be back. Hayward's back now. So you got those guys, and you got Gobert. Favors is out again, but they got Lyles. I mean, they're a team that hasn't been able to stay healthy, and I, I'm concerned, obviously, with the new fa- the, like new news that Favors is out again. I don't know how bad that is, but um, they're a team for me, kind of like you know the Celtics in the East that has an amazing kind of team chemistry. A lot of the guys really do know their roles at this point. There, I think that they have you know bench depth I think they have talent in the five yeah um I think they're gonna be a lot of fun I mean they're sitting at seven and six now and they've been totally banged up I mean yeah. it's not a terrible start for how banged up they've been and I mean that's a team that a lot of people you know bas- smart basketball guys analytics guys had as a 45 to 51 playoff team so we'll see if I had to pick mine it would be the Memphis Grizzlies negative point differential but sitting at seven and five fifth in the west we're looking at a guy like Marcus Saul hitting threes. I think we all want to see if he can keep that going. We saw him hit the game-winning three against the Clippers the other night. Big, big win. Grizzlies always seem to be there. I mean, how many times are the Grizzlies? How many? Every year it feels like the Grizzlies are the five seed. Lock them in. They'll be there in the end of the year. Marcus Saul, Zebo. We love. Who doesn't love watching Zach Randolph play basketball in, 20, <laughs> in 2016? I mean, the guy is a living wonder. I mean, it, literally, I love. I, I could enough could not, enough good things cannot be said about Zach Randolph, but that would be mine. Um, all right, James, should we call right. it? As, yeah, uh, we'll call it a day. It was fun to be here and talk hoops. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the next time I can come around. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, we're gonna try to be doing this at least once a week, guys. So uh, again, follow us at Bball Junkie Pod. Tweet us whatever you want. Any questions, any topics you want us to discuss, we will get to it. This is for the people. We want to be for the people. We got to give the people what they want, as Jalen Rose would say. Um, (laughs) Leave a comment, subscribe on iTunes, and uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks. All right, thanks, Harry.